Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Um, I invite you to please stand as we uh, go into our time of uh, our sermon this morning. We are in the middle of a series looking at the life of Moses. And I don't know about you, but when you think about Moses, I think about a guy who's big with a big beard, who's got a powerful voice, who's pretty uh, self-assured and a pretty confident guy like Charlton Heston in the, in the movie, right? But today we're going to get to see another side of Moses and round him out as a character when we get to see Moses the timid. Moses the timid. Our text is uh, Exodus chapter 4. Let's begin. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff which you shall do, with which you shall do the signs. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord, make your word a swift word this morning, passing from our ears to our hearts, from our hearts to our lips and our lives, so that just as the rain comes down to the earth and returns not empty, so your word may not return to you void but may accomplish all the purposes for which you send it. For we pray in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. You may be seated. Earlier this year, we had the Winter Olympics in Beijing, and a reporter named John Branch was there in Beijing covering the Olympics, and he wrote this. He said, the Winter Olympics are a carnival of danger, a spectacle of speed and slick surfaces, powered mostly by the undefeated force of gravity. Skiers hurtle themselves down mountains faster than cars can drive on highways. Uh, Sliders ride high-speed sleds down a a twisting chute of ice. Ski jumpers soar great distances through the air, and snowboarders and freestyle skiers flip and spin in the sky and hope for a safe landing. The next wipeout always feels moments away. The athletes who perform these feats are not crazy. They are not reckless. But they do have one thing in common that might surprise those of us who watch. They are scared, every single one of them. Uh, Even the best of athletes who've trained their entire lives for their events are timid and afraid when they face these really difficult obstacles. Um, And it's not because, as uh, John Branch says, it's not because they're, uh, they're, they're unprepared for their events. Rather, they know what their events, all the dangers that their events contain, and that's what makes them timid. That's what makes them afraid. In our text this morning, Moses faces his own moment of timidity, his own moment of reluctance. Um, At one moment, he is pastoring his sheep, a very safe profession, and the next, he's face-to-face with God's voice in a burning bush who is sending him on a very dangerous mission. He's sending him into Egypt to confront the most powerful man in the entire world at the time, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and think about what he's telling him to do. He's telling him to go to Pharaoh and demand that he release an entire population of free labor that for the the past 400 years has been building his empire for free. And now Moses is supposed to tell him, Pharaoh, You've got to let them go, and they're never going to come back. It's a tough mission. It's one that would cause most of us to be timid and reluctant to continue to do it, to continue to do what God has commanded us to do. And while God hasn't commanded us to do that very thing, you and I face those moments where we want to be timid, where we want to be reluctant in our own lives. Think about moments if God has commanded you to go confront a friend with a difficult subject that you need to talk to them about, or uh, committing to a relationship, or stepping into a new job, or moving from one place to another. Um, Maybe even for you, it might be considering becoming a Christian. Maybe it's something you've thought about for a while and are thinking about, maybe hear God's voice in your life, and, uh, but there are all kinds of obstacles that come up against you as you think about walking that path. There are intellectual challenges. There's the idea of what your family and friends are going to think about you if you decide to become a Christian. All kinds of obstacles that might make you timid in the face of following what you know God is calling you to do. So what do we do in those moments? What do we do when we want to shrink back instead of move forward into what God has commanded us to do. Well, this morning I want us to see three things. Three things that, I want you, that God wants us to do 
in the face of timidity. First, you need to remember God's patience. Second, you need to follow the signs. And third, you need to accept God's help. Remember God's patience, follow the signs, and accept God's help. You notice that God gave Moses three signs here. You wonder why I always have three points in my sermons? Well, there you go. That's why. It's uh, commanded to do it in the Bible. So, not really. I'll have four one of these days, but uh, for now it's, it's three. So, first, remember that God is patient. Remember God's patient. Uh, the fact that this passage is even in the Bible ought to, make, ought to be very encouraging to us. Uh, this is Moses. Moses himself is writing down these, these words. It's his autobiography of sorts. And so uh, he has included this passage here because he, uh, he wants us to see this conversation between him and God in which uh, he is timid, he is nervous, and yet God is very patient and working with him over the course of this whole passage uh, when God really doesn't have to. He could have just said, Moses, I'm going to find somebody who's a little bit more courageous. Just swept him up. But no, he's patient and working with Moses all through this passage. But why is God so patient with Moses here? And why is he patient with us when we're timid? Uh, one reason is because God is a wise father. And because as a wise father, he knows the difference between timidity and stubbornness. Stubbornness is a sin, right? Just an outright refusal to do what God has commanded you to do. Timidity is different. It's not necessarily a sin. It's, it comes from our weakness and frailty as human beings. We don't know the future. We, don't, we, are, we aren't endlessly strong. And so it's natural somewhat as human beings to be timid in the face of dangerous obstacles. And as a wise father, God knows the difference between those two. Um, Moses, back in chapter 3, last week we saw that when God had given him this task, he said, who am I that I should go and speak to Pharaoh? So Moses recognizes his own weaknesses, and so that's where his timidity is coming from. It's coming from the fact that he's looking to his own weaknesses and expressing those to the Lord. Uh, Think about this. If you're a parent, uh, imagine two of your kids come home from school and you tell them after snacks to get started on their homework. And one of them says to you, Mom, Dad, I don't want to do my homework. Uh, we started fractions today, and I just don't get it, and I'm bad at math, and I just I don't want to do my homework. The other one says, I'm not doing my homework. I'll be on the Xbox if you need me. The first one is timid. The second one is stubborn. The first one needs love and patience. The second one needs love and consequences, right? If we know the difference between those two reactions, how much more does God, who is a wise father, who who will be patient with us when we're timid and weak? The other reason why uh, God is patient with us when we're timid is because he knows that we face real obstacles, In verse 1, Moses says to God, he says, the people of Israel are not going to believe me when I tell them that you came to me. And he's right, right? I mean, think about it. He's going to them. He hasn't seen them in 40 years. He's 80 years old, and he's supposed to show up to the people, to the elders, and to say, you know what? God, whom you haven't heard from in 400 years, spoke to me, and he's authorized me to lead you out of Egypt. 
It's as if Moses can kind of see the future and, the, and see all, how all the people of Israel are going to just kind of question his authority for the next 40 years of his life. He knows that they're going to be difficult. He knows that this is a mes- message that is going to be hard for them to believe. And so that, that is a real obstacle. And so God is patient with him and he gives him help in those moments because he knows that it's a, it's a big thing that he's asking him to do. And in the same way, God it calls us to do big things. He calls us to do difficult things. He calls us to step into difficult and hard situations. And because he knows how difficult those can be, he, he will be patient with us. Again, parents, if you've ever had your kids do something difficult, let's say learn to ride a bike, you know how you have to be patient in those moments. Uh, whether you're of the camp of training wheels or the camp of no training wheels, put them in a snowsuit and, and just push them down the hill until they figure it out. Uh, regardless of which camp you're in, uh, you know you got to be patient because you're asking them to do something difficult, something they don't know how to do, something that's uncomfortable. And in the same way, God, when he calls us into hard circumstances, we can count on him to be patient with us because he knows how frail and how weak we are. And so we need to, as we face these difficult circumstances, friends, we can't shrink back using the excuse that God is not going to be patient with us because he will be. He will be patient with us so that we can learn to depend on him and to walk forward into those difficult situations. He will be there to help. He will be patient. So that's the first thing we need to remember. We need to remember that God is patient. But how does God help us when we're timid? What does he actually do to help us grow in strength and grow in confidence and move forward? Well, he, he helps us in, in a similar way that he helps Moses. And that is that the, the next thing that we need to do is we need to follow the signs. You know, follow the signs. In order to help Moses with this potential problem that he envisions, this potential unbelief of the people, uh, he gives him three signs to perform. And Right there, we should just stop and think, wow, God gave him three signs. He didn't have to give him any signs, right? He could have said, Moses, just believe me and tell them to believe me, and that's all you need. But no, he gives him three signs. He gives him one, and then he says, if they don't believe the first one, then, to give him this, then I'll give you another one. And if they don't believe those two, then I'll give you a third. So God already there is sort of stacking up the evidence that will help support his word that he's given to Moses. And notice that he uses this word signs again and again. We see it in verse 8, we see it in verse 9, and we see it at the end in verse 17. He uses this word signs to describe the three things that he gave Moses to do. But So why does he use that word, and, and, and how do these signs work in, in, in Moses' life and for us? Well, the, the signs here work a lot like signs do in our own lives today. Let me give you an example and then we'll see how it works in the text. Uh, most of you guys are probably pretty familiar with airports, right? You had to get, you, most of you had to get on, get, go through one to get here and you have to get one to get home. But uh, when you go to an airport, you go on the basis of a promise. You've paid money and an airline has made you a promise that says when you get to the airport, there's going to be one person there who is trained and authorized to get in the cockpit of an airplane and to fly you from here to wherever you're going. So that, they've made a promise to you. And, but how, when you get to the airport, how do you find that person? 
Do you drive up to El Dorado and just start asking other people in the parking lot, hey, are you the one that's going to take me? To... No, and I don't recommend doing that. How do, you, how do you find the person? Well, you follow the signs. You walk into the airport and you look for the sign for the airline that's made you the promise. And you go to their gate and you look for the person with the sign on their, on their, uh, on their jacket that says that they're the person that's going to give you the next step. And then they're going to give you a, something to hold in your hand and they're going to say you need to look for concourse one and you need to look for gate B5. And so you follow those signs. You look for the sign for concourse one. You look for the sign for B5 and then it's big. You can't miss it. So that you can, and then once you get on the airplane, when you hear that voice that comes from the cockpit, you may never see that person. You may never meet them. But you know the voice that comes from the front is the one that is trained, and that's authorized to take that plane off and to take you where you need to go. The, the promise is supported by the signs. And that's, the, the signs here in this passage work in a similar way. They identify Moses as the one who is trained and the one who is authorized to do what God is calling him to do here, to deliver his people out of Egypt. The first sign, the, the sign that his shepherd's staff would turn into a snake uh, that's, that's the sign, that is a sign that God is going to take something humble, like Moses, like a shepherd's staff, and turn it into something scary that's going to scare Pharaoh. And we see Moses' confidence building already as he tells, God tells him to reach out and grab the snake by the tail. And while he ran away at first, he does it. His confidence is beginning to grow. The second sign, the put, put your hand inside the cloak and out, it comes out with skin disease, as a diseased hand, is a sign that is showing that Moses is the one who has the power to take something that is diseased and unclean, that is the people of Israel, and to bring them near to his heart and heal them. He's the one that, is, that God has called to do that. The third sign, of course, the, the Nile River water into blood, it foreshadows the plagues that he will bring onto Egypt in a few chapters that we'll see in a few weeks. But all of these signs point to Moses as the one whom God has authorized and that the, and that the people ought to follow. But how does that help us, okay? We, we're not there watching Moses in these signs. How, how does that help us? Well, let me tell you. The ability to do these miraculous signs, these signs and wonders are actually given to very few people in the Bible. It, when you read the Bible, sometimes it's easy to think that everybody has the ability to do these miracles. Well, that's not the case, actually. It's, they're given to very few people in the Bible. First, they're given to Moses here. The next time we see them is almost a thousand years later when they're given to Elijah and Elisha, the first of the prophets. And then it's almost a thousand years later that we see them again in the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. And each of those uh, periods are not just random periods in the Bible. They're times when Scripture was produced. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Elijah and Elisha and all the prophets produced the, prophet, the prophetical writings that God spoke to his people during the Old Testament. And of course, Jesus and the apostles and the, new, and the production of the New Testament. So what's going on here with these signs? They're, these signs are there to show that these people are trained and authorized and inspired by God to write the scriptures that then have been preserved for us. So that when we go to the scriptures, we know that we are going to the people that God has equipped to write them and so that we can trust them. These people had the ability to do these miracles because it authorized them. It showed them as the people who could uh, produce scriptures that can, that where we can read the promises of God and be built up in our times where we are reluctant 
and timid to move forward. So if you want to know God's word, if you want to know what God has to say about anything about which he has spoken, you can go here. You can go to the source and know that these people are the ones who have been authorized to speak for God. In the same way that God spoke to Moses, who could speak to Aaron, who could speak to the people. So you can go to the scriptures and know that you have a sure word there and be built up in your time when you are timid and reluctant. So follow the signs. Follow the signs to the scriptures and find your security there. So that's the one way that God helps Moses. But there's a third thing that I want us to see this morning, and that is that not only do we need to remember that God is patient, and not only do we need to follow the signs, we need to accept the help that God provides. Accept the help that God provides. In verse 10, Moses raises one last objection. He says, Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and of tongue." And Moses isn't just saying he's not Winston Churchill, right? He's saying, I, I, he's saying, I have a speech impediment. I'm, I'm slow to speak. Some people think that he may have had a stutter. And so Moses really has a, a physical disability that, uh, that is going to make it difficult for him to do the things that God is calling him to do. And so he says, God, I don't speak well. And uh, the Lord responds. He says, you know, Moses, who made you the way you are? I did. I made your tongue exactly the way that I wanted it, and that doesn't disqualify you from the, from the call that I've placed on your life. But then Moses begins to tip from timidity into a little bit of stubbornness, right? He says, Lord, please just send somebody else. <laughs> I don't want to go. And we see there the Lord, it says, the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses. That's not God getting angry at Moses, but that's, again, a father who uh, hears his, his kid saying, no, I'm not just, I refuse to do my homework. He's saying, okay, Moses, you need something a little bit stronger. And so what does he do? He doesn't fix Moses' mouth, does he? He doesn't say, all right, Moses, well, I created your tongue. Bam, there's a new one. Now you can speak well. Go and do what I've called you to do. No. He sends him a helper. He sends Aaron, his older brother, who can speak well, to do for Moses what Moses could not do on his own. He required Moses to remain weak. He required Moses to maintain his disability so that he could depend upon God and depend upon the help of other people whom God would send who were gifted where he was not. I read the story this week about a young man named Jacob Smith. Jacob's uh, 15 years old, and he's legally blind. His vision is actually uh, two, uh, sorry, 2,800 uh, uh, which means that if uh, the, the E, the big E on the vision chart that you have to read, uh, in order for him to see that clearly from 20 feet away, it would have to be blown up four times its regular size. He has tunnel vision and blurry. He can't, he, he can't see at all. 
But the amazing thing about Jacob is he is a competitive downhill skier. I love to ski, but, and maybe if, if, if you like to ski, uh, imagine for a moment putting on goggles that would black out all of your vision and going 60 miles an hour down a, a, down a ski slope. Talk about timidity, right? Um, so how does he do it? Well, the first thing he does is his younger brother helps him. His younger brother helps him hike to the top of the mountain. He goes up to places where the lifts are, uh, there's no lifts to get all the way up there. So his younger brother helps him with his gear to get all the way up to the top of the mountain. But then on the way down, he has a two-way radio that he's sewn into his, the breast pocket of his ski jacket. And his dad, Nathan, stands at the bottom of the run, looking up at the top at his son on the other end of that two-way radio. And he calls out to him where he needs to go where he needs to turn, where he needs to go straight. And so as Jacob, blind, flies down the mountain at 60 miles an hour, he has to listen. He's got to listen for the voice of his father from the bottom who is calling out to him, telling him where to go. He has to depend upon the voice of someone else. His dad said this. He said, I think he has the ability to ski anything on the mountain." but he's not going to try to do it by himself. He needs the help of someone he can trust. Friends, God has provided abundant help for us to do what he has commanded us to do. He has made you exactly how he wants you to be made. He has gifted you with the gifts that he wants you to have. He has sent Christ to be your Savior, to cover over your sins, to be your Redeemer. He sent the Holy Spirit to illumine your mind, to gift you with new spiritual gifts. And He's brought you into a church full of people who have gifts that you don't have so that they can come alongside you and support you and help you in your time of need, to shore you up, to help you move forward when you, when you want to shrink back. But friends, our natural inclination, our natural way of doing things is to want to push against that and to say, God, no, I, I don't need the help of other people. I need you to make me strong. I need you to, to fix the problems that I have, to get rid of my weaknesses so that I don't have to depend upon other people. And God says, no, that's not the way I work. My power is made perfect in weakness. And you need to embrace those weaknesses and depend upon him and depend upon the help that he provides. So friends, when you want to shrink back, when you want to say, whatever you're, whatever you're calling me to, God, is too hard, I can't possibly take another step forward, remember that he is patient. Remember to follow the signs to the scriptures and to find fresh assurance of his promises there. And remember to accept all of the help that he has given to you for your strength. Amen. Father, we thank you for the help that you have provided. Lord, it is so abundant it is so much that uh, we have no excuse. 
We can't say to you, Lord, please send someone else to do what you're calling us to do. Because you have given us everything that we need to move forward in our discipleship and in our walk with you. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to accept your help, to admit that we are weak and frail, and to accept what you have given to shore us up and to make us strong in our moments of weakness. Lord, help us to depend upon the help of others, the people sitting next to us, in front of us, and behind us, and that we might be a church that is strong in our weakness. And may that shine forth as, on the gospel that we want to proclaim, the good news that Christ has come to be our Savior. For when we were weak, Christ died for us. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.